Figarun ke imis tu suton ehontes perikimenon imin nefos marturon, okon opothemeni panta ketin ephrisaten amartian di upomenis trechon, ton prokimenon imin agona, aforontes intontis pisteos archigon keteliotton, Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The reading of the word from Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, dear friends. In the 18 years that I got to preach here, I always loved this Sunday, the Sunday where everybody shows up with an extra hour of sleep. I never needed it because I'm an early, early morning person, but you needed it. But for some reason, I resent that 2020 has even one more hour in it. Uh, this year. So I kind of feel like we ought to just spring forward every day for a while until we get through it. I want to thank this church. Um, it, it's a, a challenging time for many, but it's just a member of this church. I'm thankful to the ministers, to the elders, and to the many other formal and informal leaders of this church who've worked over time, who've continued their Zoom meetings, who've prayed for us. I know it has not been an easy time for you, and I'm one of many in this church that's extremely grateful for what you've been doing for us. And lest you didn't know it, there is an election this week, which means that this church is going to have some disappointed people in it, come Wednesday or whenever the final ballots are counted. And if you didn't know it, there are some kind of bigger decisions that are going to come from the leadership of this church, and there'll be people disappointed there. So just by way of reminder, the unity of this church doesn't depend on the frailty of uniformity. That's not what makes us one. A unity that depends on uniformity winds up based in fear with rippling effects of division that never end. The early church was a motley crew that came together of Jew and Gentile, male and female from every strata of society. And they were bound together not by uniformity, not by agreeing on who to vote for or the outcome of an elder decision. They were bound together by their belief that the Messiah of Israel was the Lord of the whole world and he was raised on Easter morning. Now, I know you know that. 
but it's just by way of encouragement to all of us to be considerate of one another. There's no place for contempt in this church. There's a lot of room for disagreement, no room for contempt. And I remind myself that if we disagree on something, had I been raised in your shoes, in your place, and gone through your world, I might well believe what you believe today. And I trust that you think that about me as well. Well, let's pray together and we'll jump into this beautiful text. We pray, O oh God, for the unity of the Spirit. I pray that this week there may be a witness to the world, even as Jesus prayed, that people would look and see our commitment to, love for, and unity in one another, and they would be reminded that we are united to you through Jesus Christ. Now, God, please pour through me the gift of preaching that these old words of the Hebrews writer might speak afresh to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and we all say, amen. Well, Hebrews is here because there's a church drifting away. It's not a bad book for us to be studying right now in a super challenging year. People are growing weary, and they're not quite where they used to be. Oh, there was a time, there was a time that you could come take their possessions, you could throw them in prison, you could do all of these things, but they knew they had better and lasting possessions. But time has passed, life has gotten more and more challenging, and now it's like cataracts have formed and they can no longer see that which they used to see. There's a statement in Hebrews 2 that I think captures the book so well. He says, we believe that all things have been subjected to Christ. And then he says, but we don't see it. That's the gap that we deal with in our lives as Christ followers. The gap between what I affirm and believe and what I can now see. I affirm and believe that on Easter morning, God's new creation broke into this world and all things are subjected to Christ. But when I look out, I see you wearing masks. And I know of people who are ill and who have died. And I see rippling divisions and anger and contempt everywhere. And I have this gap between my Easter confession and my observations. I read a book last year by somebody, a young scholar who wrote on Hebrews and said he thinks Hebrews is about one word because the Hebrews writer loves Psalm 110, which begins, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand until I subdue the enemies. And he said he thinks the Hebrews writer is interested in that word until, because if the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, if Christ has been exalted and new creation is broken in, why aren't the enemies already in submission? Well, it's that little in-between word, until. And eventually, people who focus on that and forget that which is ahead can start to fall away and drift and dissipate which is why he's got powerful images in Hebrews, like the image of a ship. He says in chapter 2, verses 1 and following, that you're starting to drift away. Very few just fall off a precipitous cliff. No, they're, they're in the little intracoastal waterway, and the tide goes out, and they start slipping out the jetty to the deep waters. 
And it's why he said you need an anchor for your soul of hope. There's the image of journey in Hebrews 3 and 4 that we're like the Israelites. We're on this wild pilgrimage, and he wants them to know that there remains a rest for the people of God, but you have to keep claiming today is the day of obedience to God. Well, in today's text, we have another image. It's the image of athletics. He says in Hebrews 10, verse 32, if you want to open your Bibles there, the beginning of our longer text today, in Hebrews 10, 32, he said, you formerly had a contest of suffering. And the Greek word for contest is what we get athletics from. That's the Greek word, athletics. So you had this contest of suffering and you dealt with it really well because your eyes were on the unseen. Fast forward to the very end, chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. He says, but as I look at you now, you have weak arms and feeble knees. Anybody ever been there? Some of you bought a Peloton for 2020. And that first time you got on it, you had weak arms and feeble knees. You thought you were going to die. Or you went back to Orange Theory or CrossFit. Or you just decided this the year you would run. But at the end of the first two-mile run, it looked like you were about to become one with the concrete. And it's in that context of an athletic setting that he's now able to challenge them. So in chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, he picks up on that and he says, as if we're sitting in a stadium here, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. In this athletic context, it's like going into the stadium and there you're surrounded by people cheering you on. And these are ones who participated in the contest. My first Easter to preach here was 1992. I preached Sunday morning, immediately took off to Boston and ran the Boston Marathon on Monday, Patriots Day. And I still remember that day when I got to the top of Heartbreak Hill. I thought I was going to die, and I saw somebody there, somebody who did not appear to be on the verge of running a marathon. I'll say that handing me water and she had a shirt that said I ran the 1992 Boston Marathon which made me mad this was the 1992 Boston Marathon I thought you can buy the shirt I'm gonna buy a shirt I gave birth to five children if you can just buy the shirt buy the shirt but I got closer many of you have seen me out running and you know I run without my glasses most of the time and I can't see much so I got closer and realized those were all the big words, but there were some little words too. The shirt actually said, I ran a water station in the 1992 Boston Marathon. Now, those are not the people lining the stadium in Hebrews 12. It's the people who finished. I've never actually got to see my running heroes finish in those big races, the marathons. By the time I crossed the finish line, the winners are showered and changed and halfway back to Kenya. You never get to see them. 
They, my heroes of running, they are so far ahead that they are gone. But wouldn't it be wonderful to cross the line and there's Kipchoge up on the first row cheering two hours into recovery, but cheering on. And that's the scene in Hebrews. So all you have to do is hit rewind a few verses and go back into Hebrews 11. That's who he's talking about, this kind of hall of fame. Hebrews 11 begins by these people he says had an endurance that hopes, and they have an evidence for things not seen. Well, that's our very issue. If we're going to hang on, if we're going to do what he said to do in chapter 10 and verse 35, which is persevere, then we're going to have to be like these people in chapter 11. And a lot of the stories are wonderful stories of faith. It seems like everybody conquers, everybody wins. Look at chapter 11, beginning in verse 35. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Well, before that, the verses before that, starting in verse 32, it sounds like everyone wins. They shut the mouths of lions. They conquer kingdoms. And then all of a sudden, it shifts to a minor key, and you realize not everybody came out on top the way we picture it. And yet they kept looking at the unseen and they kept enduring. And in Hebrews, endurance and faith are kind of the same thing. They're at least two sides of the same coin. So having named all of those people, many of whom had life end up in ways they did not foresee, he can say, while we're running, remember the cloud of witnesses the people of Scripture, but also the people of Highland or of your upbringing or mothers and fathers, people who have been mentors in the faith to you who are added to the kind of Hebrews 11 perspective that reminds you to endure. Surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance, he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, which, by the way, we find out there's another runner in this race. Already back in Hebrews 6 and verse 20, he called Jesus the first runner or the forerunner in the race. We're not the first ones to do this. He says the whole idea of discipleship means that you keep your eye on Jesus. He's running. He endured. Who for the joy before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Dear brothers and sisters, we're not alone in challenges we face. There's a cloud of witnesses of people before us who've been through so many things, and yet they continue to claim their place among those who believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And among those who led with faith was Jesus himself. So what does that leave for us then? To do. 
Well, in Hebrews 13 and verse 22, he summarizes his book with these words. Brothers and sisters, I ask you to put up with my word of exhortation, my word of encouragement. That's what Hebrews is. It's kind of a sermon on encouragement. When he describes at the end what it was about, he's cheering them on too. And not only that, but in chapter 3 and verse 13, he says to them, you need to encourage each other daily as long as it's called today. Then in chapter 10 and verse 24, the verse I knew growing up because it proved you had to come back to church on Wednesday nights, he said, not forsaking the assembling together as some do, but coming together to stir one another on toward love and good deeds. There are all these guesses out there about whether churches will reassemble and people will just disappear or they'll find out that Christianity alone was just fine. And, and the answer is, is already anticipated by the Hebrews writer, which is you are not meant to run this alone. You need to be giving encouragement and receiving encouragement. And during this crazy year, we've had to find new ways to assemble. Some, thankfully, were able to come here today. Some will be at the park. Some are meeting at the university gathering, but others are joining us from all over. And however we are assembling today, we find ways to encourage one another toward love and good deeds. To those who think, I cannot take one more step, we remind them that you, you can. We help each other look to Jesus. To those who are ready to throw up their hands and say, this just doesn't make any sense anymore, we, we step in encouraging just like we would want to be encouraged by others. The Hebrews writer gives us a word of encouragement, but he invites us to be a word of encouragement to each other as well. Because he knows what you know. There is a gap between what seems like it should be in light of the resurrection of Christ and where we really are. But it's in that gap that this athletic contest of faith takes place. So I invite you this morning, dear friends, look around you to the witnesses of faith, the witnesses of Scripture, the witnesses of your life, the witnesses of this church, Look on ahead. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And then look to the side with those who are running with you and see if there isn't some way you need to cheer somebody on this week. A note on their Facebook page, a text, phone call, a reminder that we will, by the power of Jesus Christ, continue to run. Let's pray together, and then we'll sing again. We give you thanks, O oh God, for this race, and especially for the forerunner in the race, Jesus Christ. May he sustain us, and may we now sustain one another with words of encouragement. And with our eyes fixed on Jesus, we give you thanks this morning. And it's in his name we pray and we all say, amen.
kind of popular today to make fun of uh, participation trophies. Better for kids to make them compete to be first or second, but don't give everybody a trophy. And I know there are ways in which that's probably true. But when it comes to this race we're talking about, there's a participation trophy. Just keep running. You don't have to have the gold or the silver or the bronze, but you gotta keep putting a foot in front of the other. And the power to do it will be the power of God among you. I like the way Isaiah puts it at the end of Isaiah 40. In envisioning all of Israel coming home from captivity, we will soar with wings like eagles. Well, we've all had moments like that. Or then we will run and not grow weary. And maybe we've had a few of those. But the best part of that promise was we will walk and not faint. Just keep going. Run, walk, get on your side and roll, crawl, whatever you've got to do. But this faith is true. Keep going, dear friends, and encourage one another as you do. Amen. Go in peace.